And welcome, everybody. This is Jake Novak, and you're listening to Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. Again, you can follow me on Twitter, at JakeJakeNY, and you can find me on Facebook, Jake Novak. I have a couple pages on Facebook, so you can follow the news and my analysis every single day. And you can also sign up for my daily business news uh, summary that I do well before the opening bell every morning, Monday through Friday, and when there are trading days, if there are holidays, you, you don't get it. Uh, you can do all those things if you follow me on Twitter, you message me there, or email me there, and I'll be able to uh, get back in touch with you. Um, it is a little bit more of a businessy, financial, financially laden uh, half hour I have to present to you today on uh, no- Novak Now. Though don't worry for all of you uh, math phobic business news board folks out here. Don't worry about it. It's it's quite uh, consumer friendly and quite uh, down home uh, connected to politics. Um, because I want to talk about gas prices. I want to talk about gas prices, which, by the way, being a New York-based financial journalist, I feel like sometimes I'm the only one in in the entire group in all of New York, and maybe even all the country as far as full-time financial journalists, who understands how important gas prices are. Uh, Now, any financial journalist, if you asked him on a quiz or asked her in a test, would be able to write all the reasons why gas prices are important. I'm not saying they wouldn't understand that. By the way, when I say gas, I mean gasoline. I'm talking about what we put in our cars. Uh, For the technical term, for those of you who are sticklers, and I know the grammar police and the technical folks are out there, when we say gas and not gasoline, we're talking about natural gas. And when we say gasoline, we're talking about the stuff we put in the car. We're talking about unleaded, diesel, that kind of stuff. You know what I'm talking about there. So when we talk about gasoline prices, you know, you don't usually see that in your morning news, financial news report, and and I think it belongs there. I think it belongs there because is there any other price of any other commodity in America that is literally flashed in your face every single mile or so as you're traveling around this country? The answer is no. I mean, you might know what the price of milk is, and you might know what the price of uh, bread is or what a pound of beef is, but you probably won't know it as readily, or as many people won't know it as much as the price of a gallon of gas, gasoline. It's really, really important. And as we learned in the Great Recession of 2008-2009, one of the catalysts, it wasn't just about housing, folks. It wasn't just about that. It wasn't just about a Wall Street stock market problem. It was also that we had an extended period of time where gasoline prices were averaging over $4 a gallon in a country that had really just gotten used to $2 a gallon a few years before. So it was a massive, massive shot into the stomach, you know, gut punch into the stomach of the economy. And it played a big role. And that's why I think it's just really underestimated. And why do they underestimate it in New York and in Washington and places like that? Because in New York City, uh, the New York City-based journalists, especially the ones in Manhattan, don't know what gas prices are. There's only like one or two gas stations left in Manhattan, I think. A real small number. There's probably a few more than that. But I mean, from Midtown Manhattan, the Midtown Manhattan area, there's not a lot left. Uh, and they don't tend to drive as much. Or if they do, they just don't think about it as much. And it is so important. The price of gasoline in this country is so important. So I have good news. I have good news on that front. For those of you who haven't been paying attention, and I know that some of you aren't, the price of gasoline has been falling like a stone for more than a month now. We are now at about $2.50. Actually, we're below $2.50. We're like something like $2.46 a gallon 
for the national average, for those of you living in some of those more expensive parts in the country, don't get angry at me. I'm talking about the national average for a, ga- for a gallon of gasoline is now in the 240s. In the 240s, and we're roughly like 50, 60 cents down from where we were in the summer. We never got national average to $3 a gallon because you had a rally in oil prices and rally in gasoline prices that went through into the summer, went into the summer, not through the summer, but into the height of the summer, really just about, I'd say, a couple weeks after June. And then suddenly it started to fall a lot because of a number of reasons, a number of reasons, mostly market-based, mostly supply and demand stuff. Supply, especially coming from the United States, kept growing and kept getting stronger. Promises of supply cuts or predictions of supply cuts from Saudi Arabia and some of the OPEC nations never materialized. And so for those of you who understand that the only way to get a true price of something, a true cost of something, is through understanding supply and demand, you understand that that's why gasoline prices went down. So it's a good point. You know, it's a good time for gasoline prices to go down. You know, usually the, the height of driving season starts in the summer, so it's not the best time as far as more Americans getting the most out of a lower gas price. But we're pretty close. We're in that holiday season, and people in the Northeast and maybe the Midwest, maybe they don't do a tremendous amount of driving around the holidays, you know, Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's, all that kind of stuff. But in the warmer weather parts of the country, it is a big, big driving time. And it's a big driving time, I think, for a lot of us, even in the colder parts of the country. So it's a really good time of the year, for not, maybe not the best, but a really good time of the year for a lot of Americans to see that price of, of gasoline going down. And remember, you know, if we're talking about someone who's driving a big SUV who might have about a 20-gallon tank, let's say you have a 20-gallon tank, you know, going down 60 cents or so on the price of gas... Uh, on, on a gallon of gas, I mean, we're talking about a $12 uh, savings from where we were at the beginning of the summer you know, to fill up your, your tank. So it's a really nice situation for a lot of Americans. And yes, uh, if you are in the oil business and you're betting on the oil stocks, it can be a little bit daunting to see the price of oil go down, the price of gasoline go down. However, it's always that funny little dance, right? The, even the oil companies don't want the price of oil to go up that much because if it goes up that much, then people will stop driving and get used to not driving and get used to not using petroleum-based products, and they may not come back to it even when the price comes down. So it's not a lose-lose completely for, for them either. So that's where we are. So why am I starting? Why am I talking about gasoline prices here on Novak Now here on the Nachum Siegel Network? Well, because when gasoline prices started to creep up and we're getting close to $3 a gallon national average, which, by the way, is still way down from the national average record that was set in 2008. In the summer of 2008, we got to $4.11 national average. I know a lot of you listening knew, saw had, you had gasoline prices at probably closer to $5, maybe $4.50 in the New York area was pretty much the average at that height of 2008. If you recall, and a lot of people seem to forget this, the steady, steady rise in gasoline prices through the end of 2007, all the way up to that crescendo in the summer of 2008, when we got to 4.11 a gallon national average, finally stopped when then President George W. Bush announced an eventual relaxation on some of the federal rules against offshore drilling. And even though all the experts pointed out that it would take probably at least a year for anyone to even get started with the drilling, it just sent an, a message to the oil markets that they had really reached the, the ceiling here, that, that if they kept rising as much as the, as the prices had kept rising, then 
you know, something else would have happened. President, President Bush or some of the other political leaders in other countries would have done even more to increase supply. So people started to take their profits and got out. Gas, place, gas prices started to slowly go down. And then when the financial crisis hit, specifically on September 15th, when Lehman Brothers crashed and fell, and the beginning of the Great Recession kind of began, then you had economic reasons for why, for why the oil and gasoline prices went down. When the economy slows down, typically oil prices go down because there's less use for, there's less need for oil and gasoline. Fewer trucks delivering products across the country. Fewer workers going to work. Less shipping. The whole, the whole nine yards. And that is why with oil prices going down now, it's such a, a really great kind of perfect storm, if you want to call it that, in that the American economy is still moving along very, very strongly and is still growing in a lot of places. And yet oil prices are going down because the supply keeps going up. It's very, very rare. I mean, I cannot think of a time when the economy of the United States was growing at this pace. The last check on the last quarter was 3.5%. And of course, we got 4% growth, growth in the previous quarter. You know, that's, that's a good steady clip of economic growth. And for oil prices, gasoline prices to be going down, down while we have that kind of economic expansion is really, really good. It's a perfect storm for the American public. That means that we're not paying extra for our economic mobility to get around from one place to the other, to move supplies and to move goods and services, the whole thing. So it's a good little scenario right now. I don't know how long it's going to last. Again, I would just point to supply and demand. As long as we have a good amount of supply coming from here and overseas, we should expect oil prices to remain tame. I think oil prices are in a healthy place when we're between $50 and $60 a barrel right now. Um, that's not where the oil companies would like it. They'd like it between 70 and maybe 75 but they can still make a profit at 50 to 60. And again, I'm getting a little too technical there, so I don't want to go any further into that. But just to let you know, you're not going to see Exxon or Chevron go out of business at $55, $60 a barrel gasoline, oil. That's not going to happen. So again, we have all these kinds of things going on, but this summer we were creeping up to $3 a gallon national average, which again would have been significantly less than what we had 10 years before in 2008 when we hit $4.11 per gallon as a national average. And then when you factor in inflation, I mean, it was $3 is not even close, not even remotely close to the highs of 10 years ago. But nevertheless, $3 a gallon as a national average number is a real psychological thing. You see that three at the gas station and you, real, and you think, oh, we're on the higher end and you know, maybe I need to cut back on my driving or, or, or darn it, this is going to cost me more. And so, again, the reason why the price was creeping up was supply was started. We kept hearing reports that the Saudis and some other OPEC nations were going to cut supply. And so the oil traders started to bid up the price, and that made the price of gasoline higher. But that didn't stop a lot of politicians from deciding this was a good way to bash President Trump. Right now, a lot of politicians out there from both parties, of course— mostly the Democrats, but plenty of Republicans like to bash him too. They choose any reason whatsoever to bash President Trump. And they thought, hey, the prices of gas are going up. We're getting around $3 national average. Some parts of the country, especially on the coast, were well over $3 a gallon uh, as far as their averages in their local states. And they were thinking, let's, let's get Trump on this. We've got to find a way to make it his fault. And they came across the idea of, well, just a few months earlier, he had formally exited the Iran deal, the Iran nuclear deal. Some people had said that that could cause some kind of oil embargo. Maybe the Iranians would make things very 
tents in the Persian Gulf, and there might be some problem with supply, and they were predicting that gas prices and oil prices would shoot through the roof. So even though they were only going up a little bit, and even though $3 a gallon national average was actually never achieved, and even if it had been achieved, it would still be way under the 411 national average that we were at in 2008, there were a number of politicians looking to bash President Trump who were decided to do a little bit of a victory dance over the fact that the American people were suffering now. They decided that this was a great way to do a victory dance on Trump's head, and let's find a way to connect this to the Iran deal. Now, if you don't believe me, one of the people who decided to do this was a man named Senator Ron Wyden. He's a Democrat and a senator from Oregon. Long time, long time uh, member of Congress. He has been a member of Congress since 1981. He was a member of the House of Representatives from 1981 to 1986 from Oregon. And, and 1981, sorry, to 1996. And then in 1996, he was elected to the Senate. And he's been in the Senate. So he's been in the Senate for 22 years. He's been in Congress for 37 years and, and change. And he decided to go out and make a video at a gas station with the most expensive prices he could find in Oregon, a place in eastern Oregon, which is a, you know, a remote rural place where they often have higher gas prices anyway because it takes the trucks longer to get out there and they have to charge for their travel costs. And he decided to make a video and post it on his Twitter feed which I will retweet and have on my Twitter feed that you can see after this uh, program is over. But you can just hear it now. You don't really need to see it to get the full understanding or, or a good understanding of the message here. So I'm going to play this 54-second message here in video from Senator Ron Wyden that he taped on May 26th of this year. So just a little bit more than six months ago, he puts on the windbreaker gets out in front of a gas station in Eastern Oregon, and this is what he had to say. Hi, folks. Ron Wyden here with another edition of the Ron Report. I'm in Eastern Oregon this morning, and I'm standing by a Trump pump. Just look at the price of gas here in a rural community where folks have to drive a long way just to be able to take care of errands, get kids to school, and get to the job. The fact is, this time of year, often you do see a little bit of a change in gas prices. But what's going on now is when the president pulled out of the Iran agreement, that spread fear and doubt in the world oil markets. Fear that there might be a war in the Middle East, doubt about supplies. That's a big reason why folks really here in eastern Oregon have to drain their wallet just to pay for gas. Uh, poor Ron Wyden. So that's his 54-second message. Uh, a lot to go through in that little message of his, but I'm going to stick to just a couple of things. First off, wh what a major endorsement that was for term limits. Ron Wyden didn't used to speak with slurred speech like that. Ron Wyden didn't used to have problems navigating the English language like he did, and you can hear it. I mean, he's got slurred speech. He's not a drunk. So it's not that. The man has just been in Congress for too long. He's getting old. I assume he has some, some, some issues neurologically. And honestly, it's, it's, I don't know how much longer he's going to be able to speak a coherent sentence. And uh, honestly, really, I mean, he's, just, he's been in, in Congress for way too long, 37 years. 
And uh, there are people in both parties like this. This is a bipartisan statement about term limits. I, I, I think that if President Trump would push term limits, you know, two terms for senator and maybe five terms in the House, I think his, popu- I think his popularity would go up 10 percentage points. I think everybody who is not in the political class in America would really, really strongly support that. But that's just the first point I want to make. But there he goes on in that message from six months ago, making every one of the mistakes that I'm kind of hinted about earlier in, in this half hour. He's starting to talk about how, well, the Iranian deal, we pulled out of the Iranian deal, and that stoked fears, and there could be a war, and there could be supply. I mean, the exact opposite happened. The exact opposite happened. And Ron Wyden wasn't alone in being wrong about that, but most people looking at the markets don't, did not think that the Iran deal was going to be, I mean, I'm talking about people who are experts in the markets, did not think the Iran deal was going to explode oil prices. And if you ask most people who are experts in the oil market why the prices of oil and prices of gasoline were going up in the month of May, they would tell you the same thing I told you before. There was, a dro- there was an expectation of a drop in supply coming out of OPEC. There was a worry that that was going to happen. And there were a lot of people talking about it. It did not come to fruition, but that, they would say, hey, this is, what's, this is why the price of oil is going up. Thus, that is why the price of gasoline at the pump is going up. And nothing to do with the Iran deal, nothing to do with Donald Trump. But because they could make a coherent argument, I guess, in a stretch of a way, People like Ron Wyden were like taking the chance. This is their opportunity to bash Trump on something else. Now, fast forward six months, and the price of gasoline has been going down almost every day since the day that Ron Wyden made that made that video. The price of gasoline started to drop in this country a couple of days after he made that video. There have been a couple of pauses without without any increase. There have been a couple of points where the price kind of stayed was treading water. But like I said, we're down now below 250 national average, about 40, maybe even something like between 40 and 60 cents, depending on where you live in this country, less than where it was just six months ago. So Ron Wyden was dead wrong. Ron Wyden and whatever inexperienced, uneducated, poor, poor, you know, poor judgment using aids of his put him at, had him making that video, uh, just got it all wrong. And from the day that he made that video, the, the, the day I saw it, I saw it the first day he made it, and I saw it on his Twitter feed, I was shocked that he would make that video for two reasons. One, any senator, any senator standing in front of the price of anything, pretending like he knows where the price is going to go, pretending like he knows what's going to happen, is making a terrible, terrible mistake. It's a huge risk to do that. And yes, President Trump has trumpeted, no pun intended, made a big deal about stock prices going up. But even he doesn't say, hey, next month, they're going to be even better. He doesn't say that. He says he wants it to go better. And he's making a big mistake historically as far as presidents go, taking complete responsibility or tying credit for the, for, the, for the stock market because, of course, it can always crash. But we know that President Trump doesn't follow the safety precautions that his predecessors have in the White House. And for the most part, I think that served him relatively well because it sets him apart from other politicians. And voters don't like politicians. They just don't, even though they end up voting for them so often. They, they end up voting for the person they think is less like a regular politician. But Ron Wyden made a huge mistake there for a lot of reasons. And of course, he made a big mistake because it turned out to be dead wrong. And he should be embarrassed about being dead wrong. Now, of course, he's a member of the U.S. Senate. And if anyone can tell me exactly in one sentence what the duties of a U.S. Senator are, let me know. Let me know. 
The answer is they don't really have any specific duties. Yes, they have to go to their committee meetings. Yes, they have one of 100 votes on all the Senate votes. But honestly, unlike governors and unlike some other people in our in, in elected office, they really have no full responsibility. The only thing they really have to do is get up and make speeches. And most of them don't even have to be accountable for what they say in those speeches because people aren't paying attention or the news media is considering something else or focused on something else. I promise you, no member of the Oregon news media, no Oregon newspaper has even called Ron Wyden to say, hey, are you going to make a, a correction to that ridiculous video you made in May? I promise you no one has bothered to do that for a couple of reasons. One, he's a Democrat. And the, and the Oregon news media is extremely far left. And even if you weren't a Democrat, would they really make a big deal out of it? Yeah, they might, but they wouldn't call him and ask him for an opportunity to explain himself. Which is too bad, because that's what everyone deserves, whether you support his side or not. And that's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. So you get to say things and not really have any accountability for them when you're a U.S. senator, and isn't that lovely? Um, and that's an entirely different discussion about how we elect senators in this country. We used to have the state legislatures used to appoint our senators, so at least they knew that they had to be accountable to the state legislature, and that, I think, created better results for us out of the Senate. Um, another discussion about the, the intelligence of the constitutional amendment that changed things to direct elections of senators. But what I feel like we have now in the U.S. Senate are 100 members of both parties who really have no responsibility other than to talk. And I would exclude, I guess, the majority leader of the U.S. Senate, whoever he or she is at any given time from that, because they do have a responsibility to get some bills passed, depending on what they want passed or what the president wants, if they're in the same party. So you have 99 people in the U.S. Senate who don't have any, really spe any specific responsibility or any accountability, really, most of the time, which is a huge problem. But getting to the oil and gas situation, <laughs> boy, the Iran deal... And what some people who were hoping to frighten the American people and frighten the Israeli people and frighten everyone who knew the truth about Iran, everyone who knew the truth about the Iran nuclear deal. And in an earlier edition of Novak Now, I really explained why it was such a good move. It was right after President Trump got out of the Iran nuclear deal, I dedicated an entire half hour of Novak Now back to explain why this was a very good move and with really a wise move and what a horrible, horrible decision and really a crime against humanity the original Iran deal was, instigated by President Obama and then Secretary of State John Kerry, and really the horrible thing that that deal was for a lot of reasons. But for those people who were trying to scare the American people and scare the rest of the public into staying in that deal, the, the, the scare tactic of higher gasoline prices was a big part of their arsenal. That was a big part of it. And so when gas prices started to creep up just a little bit, those gasoline prices at the pump, Ron Wyden and people like him couldn't wait. Couldn't wait, even though it was ridiculously risky and actually had nothing to do with the Iran deal. They didn't care. They rushed out and got themselves in front of a camera and slurring speech and all, Ron Wyden's out there making a fool of himself. I mean, it's an absolute fool of himself. Not only because he even ended up being wrong starting two days later, but because anybody who understands the oil and gasoline markets, love or hate Trump, was laughing at him. I mean, I don't know if Ron Wyden can understand or even hear this message, but if one of his staffers is listening, can you do your, your boss a, a little bit more of a favor and stop putting him up to public ridicule? I mean, at least do that. Earn your pay. Earn your tax. I mean, I'm, I'm, paying your, I'm paying your salary. Will you, even though I don't like your senator as far as his record, I, I'm sure he's a very nice guy. But honestly, earn your pay and protect the man. Protect the man and have him do something more 
you know, more positive. And it's such a sad story about Ron Wyden because for those of you listening from the Jewish community, maybe you remember Ron Wyden from the 1980s when he was a young congressman in the U.S. House of Representatives, where even as a Democrat, he was one of the best voices against the Soviet Union and the human rights violations and the discrimination against Jewish people in the Soviet Union. He was great at that. And he was a very hard worker on behalf of, of, of that cause. So he was one of those Democrats who really had his head in the right place, even though some of the stuff he was doing was probably helpful to Ronald Reagan and his argument that the Soviet Union was just so morally corrupt that it was right for us to build up our defenses to challenge them. I'm sure a lot of his fellow Democrats weren't so happy with Ron Wyden bashing the Soviet Union all the time. But he was doing the right thing, and he was a great voice for Soviet Jewry especially. Just really a good ally in that. And here you see him, 30-plus years later, slurring his speech, jumping on the bandwagon to bash President Trump. For what? To support the Iran deal? Come on, Senator Wyden. The Iran deal, which threatens the existential, you know, the, the, an existential threat to your fellow Jews in Israel? I mean, how could you? And I know there are other Jews who supported the deal, and I know that there are one or two extremely out-of-the-mainstream members of, of, you know, of the Israeli political community who supported the Iran deal, who were out of their minds, by the way. And, of course, the news media found that two out of a hundred guys like that who were willing to go on record and talk about it, when everyone, and really, the, the essential 98% of the, of the Israeli public united together in a rare form of that kind of unity against the Iran deal. And you have Ron Wyden just making it, just like, someone who understood right from wrong, once upon a time, joining that chorus in favor of the Iran deal. And I include Congressman Jerry Nadler also in that group of people who are just so focused on their own self-preservation, worried about the leftward anti-Israel turn in their party, and hoping that they can remain in the Democratic Party by supporting President Obama on things like the Iran deal, even after President Obama's out of office. It's just so sad to see that desperation. After 37 years in Congress, you, you really need the job that much more for another couple of years that you're in favor of the Iran deal, which put billions and billions of dollars into the hands of a terrorist factory like Iran. And believe me, they didn't use it to feed their people or to improve their economy as the continuing riots and continuing strikes in Iran show. What a shame. What a shame. But speaking of riots and strikes, we had riots and strikes going on right now in France. Paris, France is still smoldering at this hour from days of violent protests. And what are those violent protests about? What are they defacing the Arche de Triomphe for? What have they destroyed the, the statue of Marianne, the female statue who is the symbol of, of France? What are they torching and, and destroying cars on the Champs-Élysées over? You guessed it, gasoline prices. Yes, France, that country that was scolding everybody and warning everybody about higher gasoline prices if they didn't stick with Iran and how they were going to stick with Iran because they needed those gasoline prices and they needed that extra economic boost from trade with Iran, they're the ones, they're the ones who are having the, the pain of higher gasoline prices. They're the ones who are having riots in their streets and some of the worst violence we've seen over an economic reason in France in decades. They're the ones who are suffering from it, not us. Not us. I mean, it's just karma with a capital K, isn't it? The people who wanted us to stay in the Iran deal tried to scare us that something like this would happen in our country if we got out of it. 
Not only is it not happening here, but it is happening to them. It is happening in France. And let me tell you something. I, I have no joy in my heart over what's going on in France. I don't want to see France and, and, pe- and property destroyed and, 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 and people killed. Two people have been killed, by the way, in these riots. This is no joke. I don't want to see that happen. But what I do want to see is all of us learn a lesson about scare tactics and bullying. If the only reason you have to stay in a deal with a murderous country like Iran is fear over your own pocketbook, that's not a good enough reason, especially since no one can for sure know if your pocketbook's going to suffer anyway. You don't know that. And it's just not worth it anyway. And for the Ron Widens of the world and the Emmanuel Macron, who's the president of France, I hope that they understand, at least their staffers, will you please learn from this and understand that it's better off to be right and do the right thing, not only for the sake of doing the right thing, but also economically, it usually works out too. This has been Jake Novak. This is Novak Now on the Nachum Siegel Network. Follow me on Twitter at JakeJakeNY. I'll speak to you again next week.